Please turn with me in your Bibles one more time to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and we are going to look again at verses 2 through 7 as we bring our Advent series, What's in a Name, to a close. So starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Can you guess what the top 10 boys' names were in Canada in 2020? They were Liam, Noah, Jackson, Aiden, Elijah, Grayson, Lucas, Oliver, Cade, and Mateo. How about the top 10 girls' names in Canada for 2020? Could you guess what those are? They were Sophia, Olivia, Riley, Emma, Ava, Isabella, Aria, Aliyah, Amelia, and Maya. Now, I don't know about you, but some of those were a real surprise for me. But how about the top five names in 1924, nearly a hundred years ago? Well, not surprisingly, boys were John, William, George, Thomas, and James. Well, the top girls' names were Margaret, Mary, Joan, Joyce, and Dorothy. Now, what's interesting is that these top names essentially stayed the same for 30 years. John and Margaret being number one for three decades, with only minor changes to the others. But now... That list is pretty much unrecognizable. Popular names have changed so dramatically as parents increasingly choose very different names for their kids and for themselves. It's difficult to find statistics for Canada, but five years ago in the United Kingdom, over 85,000 people changed their names. More than twice as many from a decade ago. Well, two decades ago, only around 5,000 people changed their name in the UK. That is a dramatic increase, and I would assume it would be very similar here in Canada as well, which means there is a continual change in our culture when it comes to names. Well, over the past four weeks, we have been looking at four names that never change. Names that God the Father gave God the Son through the prophet Isaiah, approximately 700 years before his coming to earth as a child. They are Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These names are so significant, they have remained now unchanged for over 2,700 years, perfectly describing 
a promised child and a son whom we now know as Jesus Christ. Now, we've already looked at the meaning of the first three, how Jesus fulfills them and the difference it should make in our lives as his followers. And now today we come to the final one, number four, Prince of Peace. And again, we're going to begin by considering the definition of this name for Jesus Christ. As I previously mentioned, each name in our text is a combination of two Hebrew words. And the first in this case is Seir, which is translated prince in most English versions. But the word is also used in the book of Isaiah for a captain of 50 in chapters 3, verse 3, commanders in chapter 10, verse 8, officials in chapter 30, verse 4, and officers in chapter 31, verse 9. And so the basic idea then is, is someone in authority over others, which in this context surely signifies a royal person who we read in verse 6 will carry the government upon his shoulders. And in verse 7, will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom. In other words, this is clearly describing a prince. Which, you know, I've always found to be such a compelling image for Jesus Christ, especially when I was a boy. You know, I loved playing with with knights and castles, pretending I was a, a noble prince who ruled justly and protected his kingdom from evil. And so to think of Jesus that way was awesome. You know, I'd gladly follow Prince Jesus Who wouldn't want to walk with and and worship the one for whom we read in verse 7, the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That's a Jesus I wanted to follow. Prince Jesus, the ruler Jesus. Well, that's what the promised son of God one day will do. He will righteously rule and reign forever. And so naturally, his name shall be called Prince. But that's not all. The second Hebrew word in this name is Shalom, which is most often translated peace. But really, that English word doesn't quite do it justice. There's more to it than that. The significant Hebrew word includes ideas like wholeness or completeness or harmony. It's more than just uh, the absence of war as we tend to think of peace, but it signifies both an external peace with others and an internal peace within ourselves. And we see both facets of this word later in Isaiah 26. If you flip there with me for a moment, in Isaiah 26, first of all, we read about this internal peace we can have in verses 3 to 4. There it says, you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord is an everlasting rock. But then if you go over to verses 11 to 12, you see it also includes an external peace with others. Here it says, O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for, you, for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire of your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all of our works. So there's this external peace with others and this internal peace within ourselves. That's what biblical shalom includes. And yet there's still one other piece, one central piece, the most important 
peace of this peace. And it's not just peace with others or peace within ourselves, but peace with God. It involves a renewed, restored, right relationship with the Lord. Listen, as scripture testifies and our own experience verifies, we all have treasonously rejected and rebelled against the very one who made us, our creator, the king of kings and lord of lords. And the only just penalty for that kind of high cosmic treason is death and judgment. But here we're told that one day the servant of the Lord will come to bring us back to the Lord, making peace by his blood, by dying in our place for our sin, thereby removing the barrier between us and him. That is the peace, the shalom that ultimately Isaiah is talking about here and that he spells out for us so clearly in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 Verses 5 to 6, especially, we read this, speaking of the coming servant, this prince of peace. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen, there are many mediators in this world who bring people and bring nations together for a time in peace. And there's many counselors who can help relieve the inner turmoil of anxious individuals and bring us inner peace. But there is only one person who can make peace between God and man, and that is the God-man, the promised child and son whose name shall be so appropriately called Prince of peace. This prophecy of Isaiah would have been, you know, such good news for the people of Judah, the original audience, the recipients of this text, because they were far from God. They were fighting with other nations and they were filled with fear of the future. But Isaiah is telling them here, listen, shalom is coming. A king and a kingdom where the increase of peace, there will be no end. What good news, which continues to be good news today, doesn't it? Because we too are a nation far from God. We too see so much fighting between nations and within nations all over the headline news. And we too experience fear, fear of the future, fear of viruses, fear of government like never before. We need shalom today just as much as Judah needed shalom in Isaiah's day. But unlike the people of Israel then, this holistic peace with God and with others and within ourselves, it's not holy future. No, it is already begun. As we now see in the demonstration of this name by Jesus Christ. Approximately 700 years after Isaiah made this prophecy and revealed these names, the promised child, the Son of God, finally came in the person of Jesus Christ, whose miraculous birth 
we just celebrated yesterday and continue to celebrate today. And during his earthly life and ministry, Jesus fulfilled all of these names in so many ways, including the name Prince of Peace, something we see throughout the gospel of accounts. So for example, when Jesus' birth was announced by a multitude of angels, they sang out glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased, Luke 2.14. Now, later on, when ministering to the multitudes, Jesus would tell those who had faith in him, and specifically those whom he healed, to go in peace. We see that in Luke 7 and Luke 8. Later on, when entering Jerusalem for the last time, his disciples cried out in Luke 19, 38, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But of course, the multitudes in Jerusalem rejected him as king. And so we read about how Jesus lamented in Luke 9, or sorry, Luke 29, verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. And then finally, after his death and resurrection, Jesus comes to his disciples in Luke 24, 36. Those who three days earlier had deserted him. And he gives them these words of assurance. Peace to you. Jesus' ministry was clearly a ministry of peace, as we've just seen in Luke. But there's more. In Mark 4, 39, we see Jesus giving orders to the raging sea. And what does he say? He says, peace, be still. And in Mark 9, 50, we see him ordering his disciples to be at peace with one another. But maybe most significantly in John 14, 27, we see Jesus telling his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Through his life, death, and resurrection, the Son of God is able to offer troubled people true peace. A peace the world cannot give, as Jesus says. Shalom with God, with others, and within ourselves. This is something the apostles would later understand to far greater measure. Like Paul, who wrote often of the peace that believers now experience in Jesus Christ. As we read in Colossians 1, 19 to 20, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I'm reminded of the third verse of the carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, that starts off, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son of Righteousness, Light and life to all he brings, Risen with healing in his wings. A superb summary of the peace of Jesus that he presented and that he procured at his first coming. But how much greater will this be, this peace that he provides when he comes again? A perfect peace without end. That we read in the prophecy of our text, particularly verse 7, but also others. Also others. In Isaiah 2, another prophecy of the coming of Jesus. We read this in verse 4. 
He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. There will be peace. But maybe an even fuller and, and more awesome description is found in the prophecy. Another one of his coming in, in chapter 11. And particularly verses 6 to 9, where it says that the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the water. Waters cover the sea. What a day that will be when the Lord's peace, when shalom fills the entire world. Even the animals will be at peace with each other and at peace with mankind. Isn't that amazing? Incredible. And so I ask, are you looking forward to that coming day? I sure am. And yet there's also great implications of all of this for today, which we're now going to consider as we close with the difference that this name should make in our lives through Jesus Christ. If he really is the Prince of Peace, as Isaiah prophesied and he himself proved. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it means this. It means that we can experience peace with others through Jesus Christ today. Each year, over... 1.6 million people worldwide lose their lives to violence. Violence is among the leading cause of death for people aged 15 to 44 years old worldwide, accounting for 14% of deaths for males and 7% of deaths among females. For every person who dies as a result of violence, many more are injured or suffer their whole life from a range of physical, sexual, mental health problems. In 2020, there were 34 armed conflicts raging around the world, killing well over 100,000 people and displacing many more who joined the 80 million people today forcibly displaced worldwide. Now, though we are sheltered from much of this violence in Canada, the stark reality nevertheless is we live in a disturbingly violent world that is in desperate need of peace. And yet even here, what do we see? We see growing discord and division between family and friends, community members and church members over politics and healthcare and social issues, etc. And so how encouraging that one day Christ will bring his perfect peace to earth. Which is something believers in Christ begin to experience today within his church where people from different ethnicities and personalities and ideologies are now family. As we read about in Ephesians 2, 17 to 19, and he, that's Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We experience peace together in the church as the body of Christ. 
But you know, it's not just in here. No, we are to be peacemakers everywhere, right? Proclaiming peace, praying for peace, and practicing peace as we look forward to the perfect peace on earth that is to come. As Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, Matthew 5, 9. And so in light of all of this, how might you and I be peacemakers today? How can you follow the Prince of Peace? On Christmas Eve, 1870, French and German soldiers faced off on the field of battle during the Franco-Prussian War, when suddenly, to everyone's complete surprise, a French soldier began walking towards the German line, singing the first Noel. No shot rang out. The soldier sang through the carol, and then he returned to his line. Well, soon after, a soldier from the other side got up, came out singing the same song, only in German. And this time, both armies sang it out at the chorus. Noel, Noel, born is the king of Israel. And for a few moments, Christ brought peace to the battlefield through one peacemaker who understood the Christ of Christmas, who understood that he is the Prince of Peace. As Francis of Assisi prayed, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we can experience peace with others through him. But that's not all. We also can experience peace within ourselves through Jesus Christ today. A recent study found that anxiety disorders are the most prevalent mental illness affecting Canadian adults today. In fact, one in four Canadians will have at least one anxiety disorder in their lifetime, which are characterized by intense fear, anxious arousal, irrational thoughts, and avoidance. These disorders interfere significantly with quality of life, including the ability to function in academic, occupational, and social contexts. They can be very devastating. Well, over the past two years during the pandemic, things have only gotten worse. As new studies have found, approximately 88% of Canadians are struggling with fear with as much as 24% indicating that their all-around mental health is poor. And I'm sure many of us can relate to those statistics personally, struggling with some degree or another with anxiety, with fear. Fear, whether it's about COVID or, or government or employment or relationships or whatever which makes this particular name for Christ so encouraging, so helpful this Christmas. That he is the Prince of Peace who can give us inner peace. Specifically, when we pray. Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a promise. Not to take away 
the troubles we face, but to rather take us through them. How? By giving us supernatural peace beyond understanding, beyond explanation. Something I'm sure most of us have experienced at one time or another in our lives as we've gone through trials and troubles and tribulations in the Christian life. Just this calm that, that comes from Christ when we cast our cares upon him. I often compare this inexplicable inner peace that God gives us to uh, a fish swimming under water in the ocean while wicked storms are raging on the sea. That's what our souls experience when we fix our eyes on Jesus, making known our requests and our fears to the Prince of Peace. Though, though all the storms of life are, are raging out here, in here there is this inexplicable supernatural calmness, like that fish underwater while the, the sea rages above. As Charles Wesley wrote in one of his many hymns, I rest beneath the Almighty's shade, my griefs expire, my troubles cease. The Lord on whom, thou Lord on whom my soul is stayed, will keep me still in perfect peace. Isaiah says later in Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. What a, what a promise. Fear not. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will help you. I will uphold you, he says, with my righteous right hand. Listen, however anxious you might be today, whatever's causing you great fear, certainly listen to others. Listen to doctors and, and counselors if it's, if it's severe, right? We're, we're holistic Beings And often the cause of debilitating anxiety can be primarily physiological. But as you listen to others, don't forget to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Because ultimately, peace rules the day when Christ rules our hearts. Just like we, we read earlier in Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Right? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, we can have peace within ourselves today. But then finally, and most importantly, we can experience peace with God through Jesus Christ today. Reverend R.G. Campbell once went to see a woman who was dying in Brighton, England, and uh, he didn't know anything about her, but he soon discovered she was very wealthy and well-educated. And yet, she was entirely ignorant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. She only knew him as a great teacher and moral example, but not as her savior. And so, greatly burdened by a guilty conscience and the, meet, the, the fear of uh, meeting holy God, at one point in the conversation, she, she deeply sighed and said with great urgency to him, Oh, that it were possible for some great, strong friend to take my conscience as though it were his own, that I may have a little peace. Some of you might be in similar distress today, overcome with, with guilt and shame, greatly convicted of your sin against God, and greatly concerned about seeing him 
one day. When the Almighty looks at my my life and, and considers all the wicked things I've done, how I've miserably failed to keep his, his commandments, how I've often despised my neighbor rather than loved them, and worse, how little I've loved God himself, doing my own thing without any gratitude or even recognition of my creator, what will he say? What will he do? How could he ever let me into his glorious presence? If that's you today, let me first say that you are right to fear the Lord. You're right to be concerned about meeting him one day and giving him an account because you and me and everyone who's ever lived are by nature sinners, rebels against God, who therefore are enemies of God deserving destruction. But let me also tell you right now that you can be rescued from your sin and restored to God. Not by your own doing, but by the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, who over 2,000 years ago on the cross took the penalty for your sin and died in your place so that you can have peace with God forever through faith in him by simply receiving in faith what he's done for you. As Paul says in Romans 5, 1 and then later in verse 10, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Listen, we all can experience a right relationship with God through Christ this Christmas. We can have peace with God that then leads to peace with others and peace within ourselves. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace, who purchased that peace for us and is giving it to us as a gift. Not just to us, but to the whole world. So will you receive that gift by faith today? Will you enjoy the gift of peace this Christmas through Jesus Christ? the Prince of Peace. This promise, this prophecy, it was first made to Israel, but it's for us all. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You can have peace today through Jesus. Let's thank him for that. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that we can call you and we can know you and experience you as our Prince of Peace. Thank you that through your life, death, and resurrection, you've made it possible for us to have peace with each other, peace within ourselves, and most importantly, peace with God now and forever. I pray that all of us here listening 
know that peace through faith in Jesus.